Satan called it a hedge in Job chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. There is such a thing as a hedge of protection that surrounds the lives of the blood-bought and obedient children of God. But when we walk in disobedience, the hedge goes down, and Satan will enter the believer's life through that breach and begin to destroy. It is his legal right. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this concerning the devil. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Satan may devour the one whose hedge is down. This is a legal issue. We must maintain a perfect state. A perfect state is one where all my sins have been washed away by Christ's cleansing blood, and I am seeking God with my might. If you have sinned, repent and turn from that sin and diligently seek God's face. If you do, then 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 apply. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Maintaining a perfect state is known by Satan as a hedge of protection. Maintaining a perfect state is childlike simple. And it is required for us to be perfect. Sound impossible? Matthew 5:48. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Luke 6, verse 40. The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It sounds daunting, but it is so very childlike simple. When all my sins are under the blood, and I am seeking God with my might, I am in a perfect state. Being perfect is a constant state, but also a constant work in progress. Consider the apple tree example. In spring, a little bud forms on a branch. It's a perfect little bud, but God does not expect to eat it. Out of the bud forms a beautiful blossom. It's a perfect blossom, but God does not expect to eat it. After the blossom comes a baby apple, a perfect baby apple. As you should expect, God does not expect to eat the baby apple. With the right amount of sunshine, rain, and minerals, the baby apple grows into the fullness of perfection until it is ready for harvest. It was perfect at every stage in its journey. When all my sins are under the blood and I am seeking Christ with my might, I am perfect and traveling unto the fullness of perfection 
when I see Christ, and I will be as he is, perfect. The hedge and perfection are true yoke fellows. This amazing process begins at the place King Jesus calls born again, John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Dear visitor, have you yet to be born again, born a very real second time, this time of the Spirit of God? If you're unsaved, your hedge is down, and Satan is having his way with you. That can all change today as in now. In just a moment, I will invite you to follow me in a simple prompt. If you follow from your heart, everything will change for you, and it will change today. Today all your sin and your shame will be washed away by Christ's cleansing blood. Today all of Satan's bondages in your life will be snapped like straw. The bigger the better. Today you will be born again, just as Jesus said. Here comes the prompt I promised. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the invisible kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. God said, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God said, Daniel chapter 9, verse 8, O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. Man said, America and Jesus don't mix. The United States is not a Christian nation. Everybody knows that. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 1118 that will once again certify the supernatural inerrancy of God's beautiful book. Every one of these faith-building features are archived here in text and streaming audio for your edification and as Holy Ghost ammunition in the battle for the lost sons and daughters of Adam. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for visiting. May God's face shine upon you in all you put your hand unto with light and truth. It's never been done. <clears throat> it cannot be done. The word is never. One cannot cast off God's words of instruction without suffering a curse individually or as a nation. Galatians 6, 7 is a cardinal law of the scriptures and it cannot be abrogated. Galatians 6, verse 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. To mock, disregard, or neglect God's word will result in the curse of a broken hedge. This feature will make it ever so obvious. For those clamoring for proof, the argument should end here. Of course, the issue is that they are not actually looking for proof. Their challenge is just a cloak to hide their sins. John three eighteen and 19, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, 
because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Jesus did not get it wrong. Headline, June 17, 2022, Axios.com, Aaron Doherty. America's belief in God hits new low. Headline, April 7, 2021, Axios.com, Brian Walsh. America is losing its religion. A few sentences follow. New surveys show Americans' membership in communities of worship has declined sharply in recent years, with less than 50% of the country belonging to a church, synagogue, or mosque. Why it matters? The accelerating trend towards a more secular America represents a fundamental change in the national character, one that will have major ramifications for politics and even social cohesion. By the numbers, a Gallup poll released last week found that just 47% of Americans reported belonging to a house of worship, down from 50% in 2018 and 70% as recently as 1999. The shift away from organized religion is a 21st century phenomenon. U.S. religious membership was 73% when Gallup first measured it in 1937 and stayed above 70% for the next six decades, end of quote. Despite what you just read, the United States still believes in God, and to the utter dismay of the evolutionists, by the way. Consider what Jeffrey Jones wrote in a June 17, 2022 article headline, Belief in God in U.S. Dips to 81%, a new low. The vast majority of U.S. adults believe in God, but the 81% who do so is down six percentage points from 2017 and is the lowest in Gallup's trend. Between 1944 and 2011, more than 90% of Americans believed in God. The groups with the largest declines are also the groups that are currently least likely to believe in God, including liberals, 62%. Young adults, 68%, and Democrats, 72%. Belief in God is highest among political conservatives, 94%, and Republicans, 92%, reflecting that religiosity is a major determinant of political divisions in the U.S., end quote. Excerpts from the God Said, Man Said feature inversely proportional follow. But what happens when church attendance goes south? The amazing truth is the results are inversely proportional. When church attendance drops point by point, the deadly fruit of disobeying God's commandments rises incrementally, all of which is the inescapable proof that God is. When church attendance decreases, a myriad of deadly plagues infiltrate the ranks of the unwashed, It is inversely proportional. Consider the charts that follow. Chart. Children out of wedlock. Gallup question. Do you happen to be a member of a church or a synagogue? The number dropped from 70% in 1992 to 55% in 2016. Now, the percentage of live births to unmarried mothers. The number of children born out of wedlock 
rose nearly 400 percent between 1970 and 2015. Chart. Drug poisoning deaths. Gallup question. Americans identifying as Protestants, Catholic, or Jewish. The number dropped from 94% in 1948 to 62% in 2016. Drug poisonings per 100,000 in the USA. Opioid, opioid overdose, uh, overdose deaths rose five times higher in 2016 than in 1999. Chart. STD cases in the USA. Gallup's question. Do you happen to be a member of a church or synagogue? The number dropped from 70% in 1992 to 55% in 2016. Uh, now, cases of chlamydia. Chlamydia overdoses per 100,000 went from 251.4 and 2,000 to 528.8 and 2017. Chart. American heroin users. Gallup's question. Americans identifying as Protestant, Catholic, or Jewish. The number dropped from 94% in 1948 to 62% in 2016. Now, the UN World Drug Report, 2016 U.S. heroin users. Heroin users increased threefold between 2003 and 2014, reaching one million. These charts could go on page after page, but the point is obvious. Rejecting God's commandments turns out its deadly fruit at an ever-increasing and alarming rate, even inversely proportional to the decline in church attendance. It truly is a global field study, and the results clearly report that regular attendance at God's house is directly hooked to health, mental well-being, and prosperity. It has never been done. It will never be done. It can't be done. It's not even remotely possible. When one rejects God's directives, a deadly downward spiral begins. End of quote. When church attendance drops and God is removed from public discourse, the results can only be grim. In 1962 and 1963, the Supreme Court ruled God out of the public school system. Historian David Barton reports the following in the Founders Bible on pages 926 and 927. This is what he says. By George Washington's own words, what you've learned in American schools above all was the religion of Jesus Christ, that is, the fear of the Lord. In 1789, the first federal law to address education was passed by Congress. Signed by President George Washington, Article 3 of that law directly linked religion and public education together, declaring, Religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of education should forever be encouraged. The founders believed and in this first federal education law acknowledged that schools and education systems were a proper means to encourage the religion, morality, and knowledge that were so necessary to good governance and the happiness of mankind. This philosophy of education continued well into the 20th century, a fact demonstrated by courses taught in public schools in Dallas, 
Indianapolis, St. Louis, Little Rock, and other districts across the nation. Those courses, a Bible study course of the Old Testament and a Bible study course of the New Testament, counted toward graduation in those schools. Lesson 1 in the New Testament course begins by having students read John chapter 1 and then answer questions such as, Where was Christ before he was born on earth? What title does John apply to Christ in this chapter? For what purpose was John sent by God? Name five things the angel told Mary concerning her child Jesus, and what does the word Jesus mean? Why is this no longer the practice today? Because in 1962 and 1963, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that after 320 years of the fear of the Lord being central to America's educational philosophy, it was time to make a change that it was time for public education to become completely secular. The difference between the two approaches has been dramatic and measurable. For example, following the introduction of the new educational policy excluding the fear of the Lord, academic knowledge plummeted, evidenced by the dramatic decline in college-bound student scholastic aptitude tests, their SAT scores. See the chart on this page. Furthermore, in numerous recent international academic competitions, American high school students regularly finish last, near the last, or in the bottom half of students in math and science testing. In fact, one recent international testing found that although American elementary students performed above average when compared with their peers in other nations, junior high students performed only at average, and American high school students finished at the bottom well below average. This sequence of results prompted one national education magazine to observe the longer U.S. students stay in school, the less they seem to know. Yet on the other hand, testing results routinely demonstrate that students who participate in faith-based education, whether in home, uh, Christian, or parochial schools, score several grade levels higher than their counterparts in public school on the same academic test, regardless of demographic locations or socioeconomic status. And those students also score 40 points or more higher on the college-bound SAT test. The American educational system is indeed learning from harsh experience that the scriptures are accurate and that the fear of the Lord is indeed the beginning of knowledge, including academic knowledge, end of quotes. America has fallen a long way from its spiritual root. A couple of final thoughts about this root. It is ludicrous to entertain the liberals' argument that America was not founded upon and built in the name of Jesus Christ. Never mind Christopher Columbus, who in 1492 sailed the ocean blue and discovered the Western Hemisphere. He was energized by the reading of the Bible's Old Testament book of Isaiah, and his name Christopher means Christ-bearer. Never mind King James, who applied his seal to the 1606 Charter, which launched the settlements of both Jamestown and Plymouth Company. The Founders' Bible illuminates the significance. The Charter of 1606, finalized with the seal of King James I, was the legal proclamation of both the mission and purpose for both the Jamestown and the Plymouth Company settlements, 
its main stated purpose was, we greatly commending and graciously accepting of their desires for the furtherance of so noble a work, which may, by the providence of Almighty God, hereafter tend to the glory of His divine majesty and propagating of Christian religion to such people as yet live in darkness and miserable ignorance of the true knowledge and worship of God, and may in time bring the infidels and savages living in those parts to human civility and to a settled and quiet government. Do by these our letters, patents, graciously accept of, and agree to their humble and well-intentioned desires. This endeavor was for the express purpose of propagating the Christian religion. Accordingly, when the first colonists landing in Virginia Beach and planted a wooden cross in the sand, Pastor Robert Hunt, the chaplain of Jamestown, knelt upon the cross and offered a prayer of dedication. We do hereby dedicate this land and ourselves to reach the people within these shores with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to raise up godly generations after us and with these generations take the kingdom of God to all the earth. May this covenant of dedication remain to all generations as long as this earth remains, and may this land, along with England, be evangelist to the world. End of quote. Never mind founding father Benjamin Rush, who was passionate about the Bible's importance in American education, again from the Founder's Bible. Founding father Benjamin Rush wrote an extensive policy paper on why the Bible should always remain in the textbook of American schools. Dr. Rush, known as the father of public schools under the Constitution, is responsible for starting five universities and penning several textbooks. Notice some of the excerpts from his 1791, A Defense of the Use of the Bible as a School Book. I promised to give you my reasons for preferring the Bible as a school book to all other compositions, I shall assume the five following propositions. Number one, that Christianity is the only true and perfect religion, and that in proportion as mankind adopts its principles and obeys its precepts, they will be wise and happy. Two, that a better knowledge of this religion is to be acquired by reading the Bible than in any other way. Number three, that the Bible contains more knowledge necessary to man in his present state than any other book in the world. Number four, that knowledge is most durable and religious instruction most useful when imparted in early life. Number five, that the Bible, when not read in schools, is seldom read in any subsequent period of life. My arguments in favor of the use of the Bible as a school book are founded in the constitution of the human mind, end of quote. When I read this final statement for Dr. Rush, I, I'm reminded of Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Dr. Rush continues, there is a wonderful property in the memory which enables it in old age to recover the knowledge it had acquired in early life after it had been apparently forgotten for 40 or 50 years. Of how much consequence, then, must it be to fill the mind with that species of knowledge in childhood and youth, which, when recalled in the decline of life, will support the soul 
under the infirmities of age and smooth the avenues of approaching death. The Bible is the only book which is capable of affording this support to old age, and it is for this reason that we find it resorted to with so much diligence and pleasure by such old people as, ever re- as, as have read it in early life, end of quote. The hedge is down in much of America, and Satan is having his way with the population at large. God's great prophet Daniel addresses the results of casting off God's word and calls it confusion of face. Daniel chapter 9, verses 4 through 8. And I prayed unto the Lord my God, and made my confession, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him, and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned, and we have committed iniquity, and have done wickedly, and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. The result of casting off God's word is confusion of face. Today's world is in the midst of a gender crisis. Men marry men and women marry women. Children no longer know whether they are boys or girls. LGBTQ123 rules the progressive world. Debate rages over which bathroom to use. And if biological males who have undergone gender reassignment surgery can participate in women's sports. When God's word is cast off, expect confusion of face. But as God's children walk in faith and verity, the hedge of protection is up, especially in dark and foreboding places. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 belongs to the redeemed. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God's word is true and righteous altogether, a place to build a life that will last forever. God said, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. God said, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked, For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God said, Daniel chapter 9, verse 8, O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. Man said, America and Jesus don't mix. The United States is not a Christian nation. Everybody knows that. Now you have the record.